Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Whoa. Welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. My name is Trevor, and we just heard from Sally out of the pan. Bye, Sal. Bye, Sal. That last song was Paul Kelly with God's Hotel. Uh, Great song. And um, yeah, Meg is co-hosting with me today, of course. Good morning, everyone. Well, good afternoon, sorry. (laughs) I'm a night owl. It's morning to me. Excellent. Yeah, so I just thought I'd introduce the topic for today. Uh, The topic for today is the Nut for the Cup campaign, the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses and uh, horse racing in general. So before I introduce our guest, uh, who is Elio Salotto, Campaign Director for the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses, I'll give you a bit of uh, his illustrious bio. So Elio has been involved in animal rights for the last 33 years, having initially focused on factory farming for the first 18 years, and he chose a different path after a chance visit to Anakery in 2005 that led to the formation of the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses. For the last 15 years, his now single focus has been on animal advocacy for all racehorses before, during and after their racing careers. His two main reasons for this change were, number one, Horse racing was virtually untouched by the animal rights movement at the time and he felt that racehorses needed a voice. And number two, in general, people need, people can more easily empathise with horses than our other traditional farm animals and therefore this campaign could serve as a bridge that attracts more people towards a more compassionate and animal-friendly lifestyle. Welcome mm. to the show, Elio. Thank you. Yeah, Excellent. Welcome. It's great to have you here. So, wow, that's a that's a pretty uh, you know pretty illustrious animal activist uh, career you have there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into activism and and um, you know what your focus was before you had uh, before you formed the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses, which, by the way, will will shorten to CPR for everyone's knowledge. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, for me, uh, my journey started when I read Peter Singer's book. Um, animal liberation and anyone that reads that I don't know how you can not become vegan after reading the first 40 pages as I did it just made so much sense so I basically instantly became vegetarian back in about 1987 88 and um, and then in 1989 I was a friend asked me to go parachuting uh, up in Korowa Um, at the time you, you just jumped by yourself it wasn't like you do today it was quite daunting throwing yourself out of a plane but what struck me on my first jump was all these sheds um, below me that ended up being um, piggery sheds and it was at the time the biggest piggery in the southern hemisphere so I decided Mm. to find out a bit more about it while I was there and found many many horror, horror stories about what they how they were treating the pigs and that led to me feeling like I needed to do something about this. So I got a job there. And, um, wow. And, so you, uh, just to clarify, you got a job at the piggery? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so I worked there undercover um, for, for two and a half months and then went to another piggery for a couple of, uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, and that led to um, exposing some of the cruelty that was happening at that time. But back then it was very different to today. Um, the media wasn't as interested and we don't have the pinhole cameras that we have today. Yeah. So it, um, anyway, that's how my journey started and got can involved. I, can I ask on that though quickly? Like you said like two months or a couple of weeks. Like what's the turnover like with people there? Like did that look, would that look suspicious or was that pretty normal? Um, no, not at all. I, I think that they have a huge turnover of, of staff right. in these kind of places. Uh, they're horrendous conditions. Like yeah. if you've got any... 
compassion for the animals there. You know, like I, I struggled to stay there for the time I was there, um, but at least I felt like I was there for a reason mm. and tried to bring about some change while I was working in the place. Um, but it was just, it, you know, like anyone that cared about animals just wouldn't find themselves in working in a place like that. Yeah. Um, but, but it, it was, wasn't too hard to sort of get a job at another one after leaving so soon. Like that wasn't no, frowned upon. No, or, no, I so. basically went from one to the other. The first yeah. place recommended me to the second oh, piggery wow. that I, we were going to investigate. And I virtually went from Friday in one place to next Monday in, in, in the other <laughs> piggery. Um, yeah, so look, that was a really interesting and difficult time. That was a kind of a pretty in-your-face introduction to, mm. to animal rights. Um, but that led me to working with Animal Liberation Victoria for, for a long, long time um, and involved in their uh, factory farming campaigns and doing investigations and rescues that was just almost on a weekly basis. Um, their open rescues were very successful in exposing the cruelty happening in chicken sheds and, and piggeries and rabbit farms as well. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I'm eternally grateful to, to Patty, Mark, for the work that she did in, in bringing people together and exposing the cruelty that, you know, is still out there today. Yeah. At least there's a lot more awareness about it. And, um, you know, I, I can see the day where it will come to an end. Um, so um, huge, you know, thank you to all the people that are involved. I remember going to one piggery one night, it was about three in the morning and we were at this piggery, it was pouring with rain and we were all soaked um, waiting to get into this shed and I'm thinking, God, we, we must be the only people in the world that are doing anything like this at that particular moment. Um, mm. Very different time back then. Now I go to bed at night and I happily um, feel really good about the fact that I know that there's lots of people out there doing the same thing around the world. Mm. So it does give me hope that um, yeah. we'll bring this to an end one day. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So how? So you've given us a bit of a background of how you got into animal activism in general. Can you give us um, some background about your introduction to or, or how you got into focusing your animal advocacy on uh, horses, in particular racehorses? Yeah, well, it was uh, a night that we were going to do a, a, um, a rabbit farm investigation and earlier that day, we received a phone call from a lady who had, which I took, who told me about some horses that were left in a paddock that looked malnourished and asked us if we could do something. The RSPCA weren't interested in going out there. So we went out there that night and um, what we found out was that this place was in fact a knackery and there were two uh, pens of approximately 30-odd horses um, jam-packed in there and they were mainly, ra mainly race horses that could easily you could identify by their brands. Fortunately, we had um, a young lady there who, who knew about horse racing and, and identified them. And, mm. and for me, that was when CPR was conceived, really, because I couldn't leave that pen without at least um, saying to myself that I had to do, would have to do something about this. So we formed a small team and investigated that particular knackery whilst at the same time we were doing our own research online about the racing industry and the problems with the racing industry. And it wasn't hard to find out that, you know, this is an industry that fundamentally exploits all their horses for financial gain, that, that horses routinely sustain injuries as a result of being pushed way too far, too often and, and way too young. Um, and so we, we decided that after two years of research that we would form CPR and and try to make the racing industry accountable. Mm. Uh, so in 2008, we formed CPR. Um, initially, we our focus was jumps racing. We felt like we had to get the general public on side because at the time, horse racing was still generally as it was accepted as a yeah. as a as a form of entertainment, even amongst um, animal activists. I confess that I went to the races a few times before. Uh, even after becoming vegetarian, much to, you know, um, my shame now. But yeah. um, but in a way, it enabled me to understand how people can still go to the races and have that cognitive dissonance about what they're really supporting by going there. 
So when you go to the races, especially when you, you, you're seeing people that make it, making a living out of it, how they are blind to what we see, which is fundamentally animal cruelty. Um, so, yeah, so we started the Jumps Racing campaign and, and that was quite successful. We, we managed to get it banned for like seven weeks mm. um, in 2009 when they announced because there was a, a spate of deaths and, and there was so much bad publicity about Jumps Racing that they decided to ban it. Unfortunately, seven weeks later, they did a turnaround uh, on that decision because um, there was so many people in the industry that saw this decision as the thin end of the wedge that eventually we'd come after mm-hmm. two-year-old racing and, and the whip and, and mm. the wastage um, in horse racing, which is basically the horses that are routinely retired and then killed because there aren't homes out there. And they were absolutely right. It, it was the thin end of the wedge and... and mm. um, so after they, t- they, they did a turnaround on that decision, we just decided we're going to go the whole industry now and expose the numbers of horses that have been killed. We were, we were going to various knackeries and, and visiting slaughterhouse, two slaughterhouses. One was in South Australia and the other one was in Queensland. And um, so we decided to, mo- to, to expose the industry for what it is, and, and that is one that purports to love their horses, yet they don't even have a retirement plan for their horses. To this day, they all claim they they have retirement plans, but they don't tell us about the numbers. Um, and the numbers that we're being told, uh, are, you know, 30 to 40 in each state, which is just a drop in the ocean, really. Mm. Mm. So it's um, it's been an interesting journey and um, one that, you know, we need to keep fighting for and, and keep exposing the industry for um, how it treats its horses, that... Um, they keep saying that they love them. Um, we kept on saying that you know they're they're killing uh, as many horses as, as they're producing each year because um, the numbers. Where of else ho- do they go? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, the math doesn't math. Yeah. yeah, the numbers of horses that are that are born each year um, uh, has to be the number of horses that leave the industry because the numbers of horses competing has not been increasing. Yeah. But what we have seen is a, is a decrease in the number of horses which are actually born into the industry. It used to be as high as 18,500. Now it's down to about 11,500, 12,000. So it's good that their numbers are reducing, which means less horses are suffering. Mm. And that's been a steady decline since about 2009, 2010. And do you think that's accurate? Or is that just maybe them trying to gloss over how many they're killing? I, I think in um, perhaps about five years ago, we saw a, a drop that was more significant than in the previous years. And I think that they amended their rules of racing to allow them more time to decide if the horse um, was a viable option so that they didn't have to register the horse immediately. Right. And I think that probably led to some horses being deemed as um, uh, dying at birth um, or they call it a slip or whatever that, so that they aren't accounted yeah, for in the official yeah. figures. Yeah. Um, we, we did a study on the horses that went through the Magic Million sales that came out last year. And in these sales, there were five horses in there that, if you look up their records, five of them uh, were, were, were um, noted as um, not being born, that they, <laughs> that they were aborted mm. or whatever, yeah. so, uh, or died at birth. And yet, these were the horses that were at the sales that weren't sold, they were passed in. So there's definitely some dodgy figures. Some fudging it's a combination of the, of the two, yeah, by the sounds yeah. of it. They're reducing, but they're also trying to make it look better than it is. Absolutely. And I think yeah. you can't trust the racing industry because they know that um, every horse that um, they can hide is, is one less horse that, the, that animal activists can claim is, you know, hasn't been mm-hmm. rehomed. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, they've, got a, they've got a huge problem because um, they can hide it so much and then eventually we've got people within the industry now that um, tell us about horses that have uh, been injured on the racetrack Um, and they know have have been euthanized and then we have to then follow up and as a result of that um, you know our death watch this year has has 168 horses being recorded has been killed on the racetrack so on the actual racetrack on the racetrack or shortly after as a result of their injuries from a racetrack injuries and, um, and and that's been as a result of industry people who are actually supporting what we're doing because they're also disgusted by, um, you know, the routine killing and exploitation of these animals. And keeping it under the rug sort of thing. Exactly. And, and look, 
there's no, I have no doubt that there's many, many good people in the racing industry that have good hearts, um, but unfortunately many of them are, are oblivious to the reality of how they're treating their horses. They see it through, they see their horses as, as potential money earners, um, first yeah. and foremost. And um, I mean, I, I get it to a certain point, but anyone that truly loves their horse should not be involving their horse in, in horse racing in any way. Well, they become a bit invested, I think, like not just like everything financially, personally, like it becomes their identity. It becomes sort of what they mm. consider that they're, for some of them, it's their family, like similar to what we see with farming and farming communities. Like there's understandable reasons why there's that cognitive dissonance and they'll just keep sort of jumping through those mental hoops to make it seem like what they're doing is okay. Yeah. Even if they're faced with the reality of what they're doing every day, they'll just minimize mm. that because to really acknowledge it is too difficult to go, well, what my whole career has been yeah. exploiting horses. My whole career is my family's career has been based on, you know, this. Like yeah. they just don't want to admit that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we've had trainers contact us. Some of them have rung me personally. Um, some have contacted us via email, telling us um, good on us for doing what we're doing. And um, mm. some of them said that they're not. They've only got one or two horses left, or they're going to get they're going to rehome all their horses and they're getting out of the industry. Yeah, wow. Because That's interesting. It, because at the end of the day, um, it's it's only the the really um, well-to-do trainers that are making real money out of it. Mm. A lot of them are, are, are tradespeople. They're electricians and plumbers, and they do this thing on the side, and they might have two, three, four, five horses, and um, they're hoping to you know buy the the next Maccabi Diva or Black Caviar. And the the, the reality is that there's almost no chance of that. Of that happening, it's gambling as much as punters are gambling. Absolutely, really. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so a lot of them say that they're losing money. They haven't made any money out of the racing industry, and yeah. we're seeing a decline in the numbers of trainers as well, which is really good to see. Um, so I think the overall industry is in decline, um, mm. as many people in the industry realise that. You know, it's just not fair to the horses first and foremost, mm -hmm. um, no. and it's very difficult to make money out of horse racing unless you're a, one of the big trainers. Yeah, And you speak about that decline. Um, I mean, I think people really don't understand just how little people knew about horses in horse racing and how, you know, how few activists had any understanding of that. And then just looking at from a cultural, you know, a cultural point of view, um, years back, you know, multiple workplaces that I worked at had uh, sweepstakes for the cup. Uh, if we were working on the day, you know, everyone would stop and watch the race. Yep, Some people too. would even get dressed up. Yeah. I don't see that anymore. In fact, I barely hear any conversation about there's no mm. sweepstakes, there's no stopping for the cup, there's no really even any conversation in a lot of the, the places that I've worked at over the last maybe 10 years or so. Um, so there's definitely a cultural change and that raising of awareness, I think, in, in you know, in a lot of a lot of that sense is actually the, the massive work that CPR has done, uh, you know, hit the ground running, uh, caused this awareness. And, and I think, um, you know, CPR has had such an impact on raising awareness uh, of racehorses in their plight. And I think that's an absolute, you know, wonderful mm. thing. And, you know, you mentioned that even when you started CPR, you had some pushback from some activists or activists that questioned perhaps the veracity of, of your focus or whether it would actually work? Yeah, that's right. I, the, the first talk that I did about um, the racing industry, um, I was applauded for it, but had a few people come up to me afterwards and say to me, do you really think you can make a difference? Do you mm. really think that this is a worthwhile pursuit? And I've had many other people say that to me over the years, friends and family. And, and I said, well, I'm going to give it a red hot shot for starters, um, and but I really believed that all we had to do was expose the truth, and that would speak for itself, and people would would turn away from it. Mm. Um, and initially, it was quite difficult. I remember we had evidence; um, we had really good um, video evidence of what was happening out at this particular knackery, and um, it was um, it was played on, on, on the news back in about 2006, 2007, I think it was. Right. And it was treated um, almost with contempt by the, by, by the journalist at the time. And I, I just couldn't believe it was just like, you know, these killjoys are just trying to ruin the Melbourne Cup. Right. And, and how it's changed since then um, is amazing that, that now people do um, understand the reality of it. And all it really needed was, and I felt this at the time, was for 
for an organisation to start exposing the truth. When I went to the races a few times, I was oblivious to hearing Mm. the whip and seeing how distressed the horses were. Mm. I was just having my glass of champagne and um, having a great time. Um, In the back of my mind, there was definitely um, something going on telling me this doesn't feel right, but but I, I kept it in the back of my mind. Um, and it was only when I went back to the racetrack to, to start documenting what was happening in jumps racing that I started to look at the horses, um, the expression on their faces as they were coming into the mounting yard and how the, the jockeys and, and the strappers were pulling on the bit on the horse and how distressed a lot of them looked, not all of them, but I would say most of them, and how when they came back after having run the race, seeing the distress... Um, that they were feeling, how exhausted they were. And, um, mm. you know, that, that just changed me. Like, uh, mm. And after I'd, I'd done that a few times and I innocently was filming it thinking that no, no one's looking at me. And then the day came where um, I was filming a horse that had a definite injury and um, I, I was pounced upon by several, <laughs> um, <laughs> several guys that were telling yeah. me to get out and were trying to take the camera off me and... Um, and that's when you knew that they'd started to take notice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a real turning point and realised how naive I was to think that I could just go in there and yeah. film whatever I wanted to, thinking that no one mm. um, um, was watching. But, you know, definitely the industry is very aware. We, we've, had, we've got a pretty good relationship with um, the state racing authorities, um, apart from New South Wales, uh, where no one can speak to them because it's run by... Peter Volandis, a man who um, thinks he, he's he's God reincarnated and no one even in the industry can speak to him. But we've got a good relationship with Racing Australia and Racing Victoria. Uh, we have meetings with them. They understand um, our position and actually respect what we're doing. And in one meeting they said to us, we're, we're actually thankful to you for doing what you're doing because you guys give us the impetus to go to our people, to the... To the um, to the jockeys and the trainers and say, hey, we can't keep doing what we, we're doing, otherwise we're not going to have an industry. Mm. So they couldn't do it on their own. A lot of them um, know that, you know, we've had a discussion not long ago with Racing Victoria about the whip and they acknowledge that the whip, the whips, um, the, the day of whipping horses is will soon come to an end mm. yeah. um, because it's a bad look. If nothing else for them, they admit that it's a bad look. How Anyone can say that the whip doesn't hurt is beyond me. Um, I've seen the welt marks on horses. I've, I've well, got if it a doesn't whip. hurt, it's not going to do anything, is it? No, yeah, exactly. exactly. You're not going to see that bodily damage. I think um, we might actually go to the first song. We'll just have our first break. Uh, now, this uh, this song is actually a Nut to the Cup song uh, by Jacob Brizzy. I think this is one that you had a hand in creating. Is that right, Elio? Yeah, that's right. I actually yeah. had this song in my head that I tried to translate to someone into their head. But as it turned out, his song is nothing like mine, but ten times better. So I'm glad <laughs> that, that he'd put his own slant on it. It's not fair, people don't care. They can't see what's really going on Horses being whipped, horses forced to run All about the money, no horses having fun It's not right, I don't buy it I shouldn't be here, I can't deny it No animal deserves this life No horse should have to pay the price What am I doing? I don't belong I gotta get out of here I'm starting to think it's all wrong Nup to the cup I don't want it Nup to the cup I don't need it Nup to the cup I don't feel it I think it's time to get rid of it I used to think that the cup was a fun day I even thought that the horses were okay but now I know this is not the case stop the cruelty 
stop the race We're risking its life for a punt Making it run hard, make it stay in front But all I see is the one at the back The one laying down, dead on the track What am I doing here? I don't belong I gotta get out of here I'm starting to think it's all wrong Not to the cup I don't want it Not to the cup I don't need it Not to the cup Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit wildlife emergency response service dedicated to helping wildlife in need across Victoria. Our volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. If you see wildlife that may need our help, on the road, in your backyard or in the bush, please contact us immediately on 84007300. That's 84007300. To donate or to become a volunteer, visit wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. I want to break free. Do you want to create safe spaces or become an employer of choice for LGBTIQA plus communities in Melbourne's North? Pride in the North is proud to present their inaugural summit, Beyond the Rainbow Lanyard, taking place on the 3rd of November in South Morang. Hear from diverse voices and help create change to improve the health and well-being of LGBTIQA plus communities across Melbourne's northern region, from Mitchell Shire to Hume, Whittlesea and Banyal local government areas. For more information and registration, go to www.pracc.com.au forward slash tickets. Pride in the North is a 3CR support. I want, I want to You are listening to 3CR's Freedom of Species. We have our special guest from the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses, Elio Salotto, here today to answer our, all our horse racing and horse questions. Yeah. Um, and um, I just yes. wanted to say, actually, before the break, you were mentioning um, one of those sort of first um, undercover exposés that went to air through like a journalist. You know, you, you submitted it and the reception wasn't that great, even from the journalist you were saying. I was wondering, because I know that CPR, well, I think CPR were involved in the final race, that sort of doco or expose that came out on ABC yeah, that's correct. a few years ago. What was like the contrast? Because how long, what was the diff- timeline between that? Yeah, like, look, it was about 13 years between um, the first interview and, and that expose, which happened in 2019. And the reason yeah. why we did this expose was because we kept on being told by people within the industry that they don't have a wastage problem and and that we're lying. Um, So we've got a hate page called the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses Exposed. I love that page because um, it makes me laugh. I I love the way that they promote us. um, Isn't it grand? (laughs) I feel like we've arrived when you've got you know, a couple of hate pages. There's another one, but not as big as that one. So yeah, it makes me feel like we've arrived when um, yeah, when, when we've got people that hate us. Um, but they kept on t- saying to us, as as did a lot of people in the racing industry, saying that uh, where are your facts? How can you prove that um, you know nine ten thousand horses are killed every year? And and the fact was that we we couldn't prove it. 
Um, mm. So we, we decided that um, we would initiate an investigation at um, Merrimist, which is a slaughterhouse in, in, in Queensland, just north of Brisbane, and try to look at the numbers going through um, this slaughterhouse. And at the time they were killing every week um, and occasionally every second week. And so once we, you know, it was a long time before we, we got to understand the routine and mm. um, how the, when the horses were being brought in. And without saying too much, we were able to set up covert cameras um, that could see the horses going through the race and into the kill box and and um, with with the video evidence determine whether they were race horses or not yeah so that investigation went for two went on for two years and um, and then we we uh, did a did some research on the numbers um, and and came to the conclusion that approximately three thousand race horses were going through this one establishment alone. Um, a year. And that was in a, was in that a year? year. In a yeah. year, yeah. So the investigation went over t- happened over two years, um, and um, so we had those hard statistics mm. that no one could dispute. And fortunately, we had um, the ABC who uh, were really keen on the story, and I have to thank Karen. Meldrum Hannaford for the fantastic job that she did on that story um, because in that story called The Final Race um, um, they showed footage of horses, exactly what happens to race horses yeah. moments before they get the, the captive bolt um, gun to the head and this is what was happening to not just race horses um, that um, had made no money. They were race horses that had made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Oh there, wow! There were horses yeah. that were unraced. There were there were yearlings. There horses that weren't even a year old. There were some horses there that were even six months of age, and so um, it really exposed the racing industry and, and led to an enormous fallout. Um, and the racing industry themselves were were in damage control because how could you defend what was you know, on your, on the TV screens, yeah, and the statistics, you know, that the facts don't lie. This yeah, is exactly. happening, and they can't tell exactly. you it's not happening because yeah. you've got the footage and you've got the, you know, the records. Yeah. Well, I remember, like, when I watched it, the thing I was impressed by was that, and I'm assuming this was an ABC editing thing, but they really played up that whole like the markings of the the racehorse of the trainers and mm. they they highlighted it and sort of blew it up in the screen each time yeah. like so from raw footage of a horse being killed or abused in in the kill sort of race or whatever it's called mm. um they would they would highlight and like glow up the the emblem on their their shoulder and show it and then they would have like the dollar signs of how much they'd made or mm. it was it was very powerful i thought the way that they did that because it was really playing up that whole side of just that and like I know to animal activists, like there's nothing particularly special about these racehorses compared to any other animal, a chicken or a pig. Like mm. each animal is an animal and deserves their mm. own life and they deserve to be respected. But from a public awareness perspective, that's huge because yeah. these are these are horses that are supposed to be considered important and above other animals. That's the whole reason the racing industry exists is because they're considered to be more important. And, and better animals than some other animals. And these are the ones that get the fancy retirement and supposedly, you know, or at least they care yeah. about them. Yeah. And and showing that you know the way that I'm, I'm, was it the ABC that was sort of doing those little editorial highlights. Oh bits? yeah, yeah, that was totally seven thirty that that yeah. put that together. Um, they did a brilliant job in in putting that mm. expose together. And I think that's the one punch that's really hurt the racing industry the most because yeah. you just can't deny it. And what's happened since then, we know that COVID happened shortly after that. So um, that meant that our investigations couldn't continue. Mm. We weren't even outside our um, front front gates. Um, it was a very, very difficult time. Since then, uh, there's been a lot of, I believe, um, underground disposing of, of horses where we're not at the bottom of what's going on there but mm. horses are going somewhere and the racing industry especially racing new south wales will not answer any questions about yeah. where their horses are going we know that racing new south wales has bought several properties and there's many horses on those properties but they can't keep on buying properties and putting horses on them mm. um you know if there's about 10,000 horses that are retiring from the racing industry, assuming maybe 1,000 or so 
um, may, may, may die as the result of injuries that they sustain, um, there's still an awful lot of horses that yeah. need rehoming. Where they are going, if the, if the racing industry was rehoming all these horses, I think they'd be more than happy to tell us where they were. That's it. Um, Bring their receipts and show it. Yeah, yeah. that's a here. Yeah. Here it is. Um, and the owners should away. be that yeah. way, rather yeah. than the owners being on activists to prove that they're not yeah. treating yeah. these horses well yeah. in their retirement. Yeah. It should be, well, your your records show that you're birthing this many horses, which yeah. is still probably a, an underestimate. Yeah. So where are they going? Show yeah. us where they're going on the other end. Yeah, it's not adding up. And Elio, I just um, I, I don't know this. What's the average age lifespan of a horse? A horse can live to be 35, but typically wow. like 30, yeah. 30 is kind of like the Top maximum end. average, I'd say. But certainly between, it's not unusual for a horse to live anywhere between 25 and 30 years if they're looked after. Wow. So um, the, the, this is not adding up. It's just not adding no, up. No, it's yeah. absolutely this not This many adding po- up. horses being born mm. and the, that lifespan of the horses, you know, what's happening yeah. to them. We just can't deny that there's, you know, yeah. there's something dodgy happening. Yeah, look, we, we do know that Racing Victoria, um, they, they never, when we started, they didn't even have an equine welfare department. And I think now they've got a staff of six, I think, in the equine welfare department. Mm. Um, we've met with them several times and we try to get information about them, but I think the Equine Welfare Department is more like a PR department trying to... Yeah. Uh, look, I'm sure they're, they're doing some good and they are rehoming um, a, a number of horses. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but the numbers don't stack up and they're not forthcoming with mm. you know the, the majority of you know, horses that uh, are retiring. We do know that they've got um, a euthanasia program. So if you've got a, a, a racehorse, um, whether it's race 10 years ago or race last week, uh, you can contact them and you fill out a form and tell them that the horse is either injured or it's dangerous and they'll come and pick up your horse for free and kill it on site and dispose of it. And I think it's horrific that an industry that, that, that supposedly loves their horses has a program where they'll just come and pick up your horse and, and kill it. And the reason they mm. want to do that is because they'd rather that happen than the horse, these horses end up in a paddock somewhere malnourished or we're at a knackery mm. um, where they're still going um, and then and then we obtain footage of of this and yeah. expose it and then it's bad PR for them exa- that's literally exactly what right. drives it yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. they've got a huge PR problem um, and I think they just need to accept that they've got to stop running and hiding and actually mm. address the problem head-on and really care about these horses if they want to any you know any longevity into the future yeah. So on the back of all of that history, that background of Racing Victoria and, and you know, the cruelty of the industry, etc., I want to get on to um, obviously one of your primary campaigns, which is the Nup to, cup, the cup, nup mm. to the Cup campaign. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that campaign, how it started and why it's kind of a crucial part of, uh, mm. you know, your, your organisation and your campaigning and, and programs? Yeah, well, once we realised that we had we started to get the public on side. Um, there, there'd been numerous polls being um, held in the early days about jumps racing, about should jumps racing continue? And we were stoked mm. that the majority of people were against jumps racing. And we thought that was great. And then once we got on to attacking the whole industry, then we started seeing some um, polls being done by 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 the age and and the herald sun about should horse racing be allowed to continue and we were like blown away that mm. people were actually thinking that maybe horse racing doesn't have a place in our society anymore so it showed that there was a shift in you know in the in in the mindset of of your average australian that cared about animals that, that they suddenly realized that horse racing is not what you know they make it out to be and so we felt we realised that people still wanted to have a good time and, and that's why people go to the races. They don't even go there for the horses. And my, a lot of people that I talk to say, well, you know, didn't even bet on a horse. I just mm. went there for a bit of fun with my mates. And so well, we started thinking about that and how we, we needed to kind of um, come up with a campaign that would um, turn people away from racing. And just by chance, uh, we, we received an email one day and this woman said, said in the email, why don't you guys have an event 
um, celebrating animals and, and call it Nut to the Cup. And yeah, we wow. thought it was a great idea. So that yeah. started about 12 years ago. Um, started dismally the first year because we, it, there was about 30 of us in this one three metre by three metre marquee um, <laughs> and it poured with rain the whole afternoon. And, and <laughs> so it wasn't a very nice start to, to this. It wasn't as fun as campaign. you thought it might be. But <laughs> well, actually, well, it was fun because yeah, when, okay. <laughs> when the sun came out, there's photos of us. In fact, this one ended up to the cup um, website. There's actually pictures of that day where the sun did come out and we, we did have a, a fun time anyway. But we just we felt like that we needed a campaign where people could substitute going to the races with another event and feel yeah. good about it. Mm. And so we, we see the day where um, on, on Melbourne Cup Day where people can choose between going to the races or a, a racing event or they can choose to be on the side of all animals and have either their own up-to-the-cup event or... or go to an up-to-the-cup event. At the moment, we've got nine registered on our website and um, and have a fun day, do all the silly things that people do at the races, apart from the end bit where they're vomiting on the ground and um, and half <laughs> maybe, naked. Maybe not Leave do that. that yeah. Yeah, don't do that. Um, and 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 just have a fun day. And, and we've seen that the, the events are becoming bigger and, and um, have been held all around the country. Um, and so we, we can see the day that all animal lovers will, will make that choice on Melbourne Cup Day to even if you're at home with a few friends and, and you put in $10 each and you give it to a local horse charity or, or something like that yeah. um, so that we can all feel good about supporting you know, the animals that we all love instead of going to the races and, and supporting inadvertently supporting um, what is animal cruelty. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that was actually one of the smartest things mm. that you could have done. You know, substituting the fun that people have at the races for fun without the cruelty of the horses. Because I think a lot of the people were, you know, at the start when this whole thing happened, it was like, why are you trying to take away our fun? Why are you trying to stop us from having take this away fun our public day? holiday? Exactly, yeah, you know, always that. we can we can have fun without this. And I think the fact is that it's more easy to you know to substitute one fun thing for another. So you've offered the carrot rather than the stick, and I think that's actually been a, a genius part of the campaign that you have said, "Hey, have fun." Go to these really cool, awesome events. Maybe donate to a sanctuary, or you know, or, or to a horse charity, or something like that. And and you are still having fun. You are still celebrating, you know, a, a fun thing. But you're doing it in a positive way. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely, and, and definitely. Like f- for me, it's it's the most uplifting experience that I have during the year when I see all these people coming together mm. um, to have fun. Um, for for animals um, that we all care about, whether they're horses, chickens, pigs, or whatever, um, they're all sentient beings and all deserve the same respect. So mm. yeah, we encourage people to yeah, if you want to go to our website, nuptothecup.org, and we have nine events registered on there at the moment. Um, there'll be many more to come, uh, or come to our event. We've got a really good band um, lined up. Um, Tell us a bit about your event. Where is uh, it? Our, our event is going to be held where it's been held for the last um, 12 years, but with one little difference. It, it has been in the park just up the road from Flemington Racecourse entrance um, on Epson Road. Um, and this little park um, uh, has a bowling club attached to it. Now, we, we would normally be in the corner nearest the, um, the roundabout where we put all our signs up. We'd have 100 or so placards and banners and flags. And we'd have our event there hoping that we're going to get a nice day. <laughs> but as we've had for the last few years, we've had some extremely bad days and we've decided that we have to get, take it indoors um, just so that we can grow it and, and, and be confident about um, you know, being able to hold the event properly. Last year was probably the worst year we've ever had weather-wise uh, where we had literally had half the people in attendance hanging onto the tents trying to stop them from blowing away. <laughs> so, so now the event's at the, the bowling club, which is in that... Um, that same park area. In that same park. Yeah. We'll still be doing the, the, the demonstration part of it. There'll still be a crew of people mm. um, putting up the placards so that people driving past can see um, the, the signs and banners. Uh, and we'll still be we'll, – we'll be just um, at the other end of the park inside having, having lots of fun. And um, uh, we, you'll be able to play bowls as well um, free of charge. Um, so we're looking forward to that and mm. hoping we get a really good turnout. 
And we want people, we want events held around the country. Um, and I, I can see it being a day that, um, yeah, people will embrace um, events where they're, they're caring for animals rather than going to the races. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And uh, just to let listeners know, we'll post up all of these links. So the, the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorse website and up to the Cup website, including the link to the events um, that you'll be having as well. And I notice there's a lot of um, you know, a lot of events across Australia, which is great. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably time to go to the next song. Um, we have another song. I figured what we'd do is um, keep going with uh, Jacob Brizzy, who was the uh, the – um, musician who played the Nut to the Cup song. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a couple of other songs from Jacob. What was the first one that we've got? With the uh, second one? This one is Fighting for Love. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged 3 and 4 can access 15 hours per week of free kinder. Kinder programs provide culturally safe places for children and families and are led by qualified teachers. Enroll for 2024. Speak with your preferred kinder service or local council today about how to register for a place. Corey Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash kinder. Authorised by the Victorian Government Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Okay, this is a uh, logging operation. Any person found within this coop is offending. Can they please leave? You're allowed no closer than the bridge down the track there. Any person that's found in the coop will be arrested and charged. <laughs> I direct that you all leave now. Gecko's turning 30 and we're having a party. The Goongra Environment Centre has been fighting to protect East Gippsland's forest since 1993 and we want a party with you. There'll be music, performances, food, drink, old friends and new friends. What better way to celebrate the end of native forest logging in Victoria? From December 1st to the 3rd in Goongra, East Gippsland. To find out more, go to gecko.org.au. Gecko, 30 years fighting for forests. Get down to the party. Celebrate with us. A 3CR supporter.
Welcome back to Freedom of Species. This show is all about horse racing and also the upcoming Melbourne Cup. We are talking to guest speaker Elio Salotto, who is the founder of the Coalition for the Protection of Horses. Uh, And we're talking about in this segment uh, the future of the campaigns, uh, the cultural changes that we've seen um, and where it goes from now. So over to you, Elio. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's been really interesting, the changes that we've seen within the racing industry, especially the last seven or eight years. Um, they used to get a great celebrities coming from all around the globe attending these events because they were seen as being quite elitist and then you'd have the birdcage and yeah. you had Meyer and, and um, David Jones and had lots of sponsors. Now they're struggling to get sponsors. David Jones and Meyer aren't involved anymore. At all? Uh, at all. They're, wow. they're saying mm. that they've moved on. They don't have a sponsor for the fashion in the fields. And wow. so I think that's telling us a lot that um, they don't want to be attached to the brand of, of, of horse racing yeah. with all the bad publicity that it generates throughout the year. Like there's always something happening in horse racing, whether it's the drugging of horses or horses being killed on the racetrack or, um, you know, some of the shenanigans that the trainers get up to with drugs and whatever else they do do you reckon there was like a catalyst for that sort of like lack of sponsorship or did something sort of something happen that sort of triggered it like a domino effect yeah well i think i think when it really started to happen was back in 2019 so the final race had been um shown on tv and there was a huge outcry over that and then Taylor Swift was was supposed to attend the melbourne cup oh yeah and we started a campaign to um, get her not to attend and this went on for several days and it was gaining some momentum but we never thought for a moment that she would cancel the event mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if it was a week or 10 days after that after she'd been bombarded by her own supporters not to support horse racing that she suddenly found herself um, double booked and she had to cancel the Melbourne Cup. Mm, uh, interesting. And um, and so then we had I think it was Megan Gale speak out against horse racing and um, oh, and she'd been a long-time supporter of it as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So, th- so there was several people that started to speak out mm. and suddenly people, celebrities going to the races um, started to, to dry up. Mm. And I know in the last couple of years they've only been able to get some um, some AFL footballers attend and, and the celebrities that they were getting many years ago just aren't going anymore. Wow. So I, I think that speaks volumes and, um, uh, you know, I, I think... As long as that continues, we can be uh, feel good about what the future holds for 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 the horses. Um, we know it's an industry that uh, supports a lot of families, but uh, in any industry that relies on animal cruelty to survive doesn't doesn't have the right to exist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I know that we, we spoke before about uh, the sentiment that's changing with the younger generations that are coming up. I've definitely noticed that there is a def- definite change in sentiment from somebody, you know, who is older as opposed to someone who's younger and their views of, mm. of the Melbourne Cup and horse racing in general. Um, can you speak a little on that and what that means uh, for the future of the campaign and really the future mm. of horse racing as well? Yeah, look, we've definitely seen um, less people less young people going to the races and less young women going to the races in particular and even guys people are coming up to us and i'm really you know glad to see young young men coming up to us saying hey i didn't know about any of that and we'll take our leaflet and we've had a few guys so this is race goers yeah, as race well. goers because most people are going to the spring carnival are there just um, to get drunk have just, a good just, time. To just have a good time they're not there for yeah. the horses at all and just another important fact um, that in the last since 2008, the attend the the attendance figures to the Melbourne Cup Carnival, which is starts with um, Derby Day, then there's the Melbourne Cup, then there's on the on the then we've got Oaks Day, and then there's Stakes Day on the Thursday. That's down by 30 percent in the last 12 years. So that's also really important. That yeah, wow. people, Significant change. Less, less people are going to the races now. Um, unfortunately, the betting turnover is going up, but that was primarily because of COVID when people were looking for, for anything to you know to do. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of them turned to, to betting. And Especially because so they can do it online. Online, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there has been a, um, a huge upturn in betting, but we're, we're 
glad we're hoping that that'll ease off and the racing industry will become less and less profitable and eventually will become the victim of its own demise yeah. Uh, yeah. so thank you so much for coming on the show um yeah, one thing that we wanted to do was to actually uh get you ask you how people can get involved because this is such a huge fundamental thing how can people promote your organization get involved with the act- actions and the campaigns what can they do well, look, first of all, they can follow us on social media. We're on all, all the major social media. So follow us on that. Go to our website, horseracingkills.com, and all the links are on there. If people want to get involved, please send us an email. There's an inquiry form they can fill out. We have several um, events coming up in the next month or so. We've got the Caulfield Cup this Saturday. Um, so all the event details are on social media and on our website. Uh, just get involved and... Um, even like our demonstrations, they you know they're kind of fun. Um, so um, and and I always feel good about our, our demonstrations because there's always some positivity that comes out of the demonstrations we do. Even we've even done demonstrations with just a handful of people, and it and, and it's still worthwhile being there. And it's it's really um, uh, uplifting to see people going to the races, coming up to us and saying, "Good on you guys." Mm. Um, if it wasn't for you guys, there'd be. Uh, all this would still be going on. And, and so there are changes taking place within the industry. And, and so the more and more people that can speak out, speak to your family and friends and tell them the truth, watch the final race, which is on YouTube. Um, mm. and, we'll, and we'll put a link to this sh- in yeah, the show notes as and well. And that, that's something that every person that thinks that race ho- horse racing is okay needs to watch because it absolutely mm. um, categorically t- tells you that it's not, mm. that it's based on exploitation and um, and these horses are treated as disposable objects and um, it's simply not good enough. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and your tireless advocacy, Elio. We really appreciate you coming on the show and we also appreciate how much of an effort you've put in over the years. So, yes, listeners, get involved. Go yeah. go to a go to a Nup to the Cup uh, event. I'm actually looking forward to the Nup to the Cup event. That's going to be great. Uh, we're going to go to the last song now. Yeah, uh, after us is Rotations. Yes. Yep, so listen stick in. around for that. And this last song is Mantelpiece. By Jacob Brizzy.
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.